It's always a privilege to preach the Word, and I'm very excited this morning to preach the Word. And uh, I think part of what Petri and Helen are doing is such a powerful picture of what God is doing with us as a church. And we've spoken for a while now about the, the new thing, which actually is an old thing. The way of grace, the way of faith. We've spoken for a while now about how God has taken us and put us back onto this ancient path, the way that many have walked before us. And instead of, instead of doing church by uh, routine and tradition and the way that we've always done things, some of those things are very, very good. We're not throwing everything away. But some of what God is saying to us is new to us and unknown. And so we are really enjoying the ride that God has for us. And part of what I've been preaching in the last while is simply trying to give testimony of what God has been doing in my own heart, in my own life. And I trust that that's bringing you freedom as well. And there's this parallel thing that God is doing with us as a church. And part of that has been simply coming back to the centrality of the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel. And that's been happening in my own life, where God has just been um, helping me to see some things that have been covered over by other stuff. And I used the example last week of the onion uh, in Shrek, where Shrek is trying to describe something to Donkey, and he says, it's like an onion. You have to take the layers off. And every time you take one layer off, there's another layer that you see, and something that you haven't seen or perceived. And God puts his finger on that by his spirit and says, well, that also needs to change. And... uh, all to bring us in line with the the truth of the gospel that it's for freedom that Christ came to set us free. And so I really trust that this morning, the title of my message is uh, what I started last week. It's holiness apart from the law. Okay? And I want to put that emphasis right at the beginning. Holiness apart from the law. Because sometimes we can put the emphasis on holiness apart from the law. And this morning I want to say it's holiness apart from the law, all right? And that is a very subtle thing, but a beautiful picture for me is Luke chapter 23. And we're going to start there this morning. Luke chapter 23, verse 39. This has always been a very powerful story for me. And I remember growing up in the Methodist church, my father used to preach regularly, obviously. And every now and then at Easter, he would use this portion of Scripture. I felt God just give me some things out of the Scripture this morning as we start. It's the story of the criminal that is crucified alongside Christ. And we're going to read verse 39. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, indeed, justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Man, that's a profound scripture. It perfectly illustrates what we've been trying to preach over the last while, that salvation is a free gift of grace given to us freely. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. 
This man did not have time to go out and live a good godly life in order to prove that he was saved. Would you agree? He was on his cross. He was alongside Jesus. He was paying the penalty for what he had done. And he admits, he says himself, we are receiving the due penalty for our acts. He was a criminal. We don't know what that means, what he had done. But as he looks on Jesus and he believes on Christ, instantly he is saved. Instantly he becomes a son. And he has not got any opportunity to go out and live a godly life and to prove to anybody that he's saved. At that moment, he is saved and set free, and he instantly becomes the son of the Most High God. That is the gospel. All is, that is needed is that we believe on Jesus and we are saved. We have a righteousness that comes apart from the law. Can anyone say amen this morning? And if you read Ephesians 2 verse 8, it says this, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that none can boast. Amen. It's a work of grace in our lives. All we do is we will believe on Jesus, and the Scripture says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. Just like that criminal. Criminal. Saved instantly, becomes a son instantly. It's exactly the same for you and I. Romans 4 verse 5, to the person that does not do anything, to the person who does not do anything but believes on God who justifies the ungodly, that person is reckoned for righteousness. The gospel simply is this, is that we are saved by doing nothing. We are saved by doing nothing. Godliness is not the way to get to heaven. Salvation is a free gift. Heaven is a free gift. This man, a criminal under his own hat, he knows what crimes he had committed. Rightly punished for the things that he had done he was receiving due punishment instantly, instantly. He moves from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Moves from being a retrograde, he moves to be a son, instantly comes to salvation by simply looking on Jesus and believing in his heart. Isn't that good news? That is the gospel. That is the good news for you and for me. And I'm so embarrassed about some of the things that I did in my youth but you know what? God doesn't see them anymore. <laughs> he looks on me. He sees the blood of Jesus. He doesn't see the embarrassing things I did. He doesn't see the, the sins of my youth. And so many of us live like we, God is still seeing the sin of our youth or the sin of now. He looks on you and he sees the blood of Jesus. You have a righteousness in Christ apart from doing anything. That is the position that you have in Jesus. Amen. It's a beautiful story in Luke chapter 7. Uh, also, it's one of my favorite passages in the scripture. We're going to go and have a look there if you want to turn to Luke chapter 7. It's the story of the woman who anoints Jesus with perfume from that alabaster jar. And it's, in, it's interesting because the Pharisees are so offended. The religious leaders, 
They are so offended because it says she's a sinful woman. She's probably a prostitute or a concubine or something. And she's touching Jesus. And she's got this show of emotion and she's weeping and she's pouring out her tears. She's using her hair to dry his feet. It's a powerful, powerful picture. And the, the, the religious people of the day, they are so offended. They, they say to Jesus, don't you know who's touching you? Don't you know who's touching you? This woman is a sinner. And Jesus points them to an amazing thing. He just points them to a simple truth. And he says this, she knows how much she has been forgiven. And someone who knows how much they've been forgiven is, just, is internally grateful and out of their hearts pause, gratitude, and love. And he says what she's doing is a beautiful thing that no one take it away from her. And then he turns to Simon, who's the host, the Pharisee who's the host, and he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears, and she's wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, Jesus never beats around the bush. This woman, yes, yeah, she's, she's sinful. Her sins are many, but they are forgiven. For she loved much. And he who's forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's the gospel. Your sins are forgiven. I want to tell you, doesn't matter what, what you have done in your life, your sins are forgiven. God is much more concerned about your future than he is about your past. Your sins are forgiven. J.C. Ryle is a wonderful writer, and he comments on this passage. He says this, A sense of having our sins forgiven is the mainspring and lifeblood of life, of love to Christ. The only way to make men holy is to teach and preach free and full forgiveness through Jesus Christ. The only way to become holy is to preach free and full forgiveness in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. The secret of being holy ourselves is to know and feel that Christ has pardoned our sins. Peace with God is the only root that will bear the fruit of Holiness. Holiness in our life is a fruit of knowing that Jesus had us, has set us free completely. Completely, utterly. Forgiveness must go before sanctification. In other words, knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that Christ doesn't see our sin is the root of everything else that comes afterwards. We've quoted Michael Eaton a lot who said uh, last year in this church, he said, walk by the Spirit deliberately and you'll fulfill the law accidentally. Well, there's many other ways we can say that phrase. We could say things like this. Uh, uh, we look to Jesus deliberately and become holy accidentally. We look to Jesus deliberately and we become holy accidentally. I was chatting with Nick and he said this, there's no holiness without grace, empowering, delightful grace. There's no holiness without grace, without the grace of God. In our lives. So for all of us, I believe in this new season, God wants us to be rooted in this basic fundamental revelation. We are saved by grace. We are saved by believing on Jesus. 
We instantly are adopted as sons. We are secure in that. That's the foundation of our lives, every single one of us. Christ has done all that is needed. That's why we sing, we worship, we celebrate. So if that is true, why do we even need to talk about holiness then? Why do we need to talk about holiness if, if Christ has done all? Well, there's, I want to give you three classic three points this morning, and I'm, I've decided that I'm going to be a little more Anglican in the sense of three points, all right? Because <laughs> I sometimes have too many points, but three points. The first is simply this. It's because God is a holy God. And that's simple, but it is profound. God is a holy God. God said to Moses through the law that we need to be holy because God is holy. You can read that in Leviticus 44. 1 Peter 2 verse 4 says this, As you come to him, Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are living stones and are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are no longer under the law as Christians. We know that. God wants us to live lives that are free of compulsion, free of feeling like we have to or ought to do anything. We're under grace. We are holy priesthood under grace. And I quoted Ray Ortland last week. I want to say, uh, quote it again, where he says, what is the curse of the, curse of the law? Galatians 3.13. It's the or elseness. It's the or-elseness or of the law. Do this or else. And normally, we like to quote, people, people like to quote Deuteronomy 28. If you do this, God will bless you. If you do this, God will curse you. It's, the, it's, a, it's cause and effect. It's not the gospel. That's the old covenant. We are free in Christ. Absolutely free. That is a radical, radical thing to say. If you really think about it, you are not under compulsion in any way in your life. What Ortland goes on to say is that the all-elseness of the law is put on the cross. That there's no all-elseness for anyone who is in Christ. As God looks upon us now, the all-else is gone forever in your relationship with God. That is to be celebrated. That is the gospel of Jesus. We want to know Christ. We want to know God. We want God to hear our prayers and bless us. We want relationship with Him. We want intimacy with Him. We've been talking about this thing of a divine romance. We want a romance with Jesus. We want an intimacy with Jesus. And if we want intimacy with God, we have to ask this question, what kind of God is He like? What kind of God is He? Well, I know Helen, and we've been involved with each other now for 17, 18 years give or take a couple of months, I know what she likes and what she dislikes. And she knows what I like and what I dislike. And that brings a real uh, deepness to your relationship. It brings a profound intimacy if you know from your partner what they like and that you, you cater to what they like and you try as much as you can not to cater to what they dislike. Okay? It's called love. That's what loving is. It's, it's, it's catering for each other. And it's the same with God. If we truly want to get to know him, we already have his favor because Jesus has died for us. We already have the smile of God on our lives. He looks at you with a smile. He doesn't look at you with a frown, all right? He looks at you with a smile. He looks on your life and he smiles upon you. He smiles from heaven. He says, these are my kids. I'm chuffed with them. I'm delighted with them. I see my son upon them. 
And the result of that is that we can have a life that is growing ever the more deeper and intimate in our relationship with Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. He's given us salvation freely so that we can have intimacy with him. That's why we were saved. You weren't just saved for the sake of being saved. You were saved so that God could transform you and make you more and more like his son, Jesus. That's why we were saved. But it's more than that. It's not just that God is holy. I'd like to use this little phrase, a benign determination. God is benignly determined that you will become like his son, Jesus. He doesn't do that with any compulsion. He doesn't do that with any sense of forcing you to be like his son. All he says is as you walk by the Spirit, you will automatically become more and more like Jesus. That's what he has for all of us. And um, if you, if, uh, I'd like to turn, if you turn with me um, to Mark chapter 8, verse 34, please. There's a, a wonderful scripture there that illustrates what I'm trying to say. You see, under grace... Our obedience is entirely voluntary. It's entirely voluntary. Under grace, your obedience as a Christian is entirely voluntary. You know, we talk about the law. Well, if you want to talk about the law, then we need to talk about the law completely. Under the law, teenage rebels were stoned to death. They didn't get an ASBO. They were stoned to death under the law. Under the law, if you committed adultery with another woman, you were stoned to death, both of you, the man and the woman, stoned to death. So if you want to talk about the law, then let's talk about the law completely, all right? Under grace, your obedience is entirely voluntary. There is no compulsion. Jesus does not demand anything of you or of me. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 He called to him in the crowd with his disciples, and he said, If anyone, can we just stop there? If anyone, there's no compulsion upon you to follow Jesus. There's no compulsion on me to follow Jesus. If anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, let him do what? Let him deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. The way of following Jesus is is letting that cross cut through your own heart. And letting it cut through all the mess that's there and the, all, all, the, all the stuff that you, when you, when the quietest of the night, when you look inside your own heart and you see what is there, it's at that moment that those things are crucified with Christ and he brings freedom. If anyone wants to follow Jesus, let him deny himself and follow me. There's no compulsion There's no one strong-armed into the kingdom. Jesus doesn't come and say, put your arm behind your back and say, okay, you will follow me. He didn't call his disciples like that. If anyone wants to follow me, let him come. You make the decision to follow Christ. There's no pressure put on us. The law worked under the fear of punishment. I want to just say this to you. If there's fear in your life about the future, if there's fear in your life about what you've done, I want to suggest to you that perhaps grace has not fully impacted your heart because perfect love casts out all fear. And Paul says that fear has to do with punishment. And if you really have revelation that God has taken all his punishment, our punishment upon him, then there's no need to be fearful of anything. Not the economy, 
Not that your kid is not going to grow up well. I've heard that so much. I'm so concerned about the kids, the, the, the school that I send my kids to. How do I know that my kid is going to grow up in a godly way? You know simply by this, because the grace of God is upon your life. And God has taken you warts and all, and he's transformed you for 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, however old you are. And now you know him, and you are walking with him, and simply we trust the same for our children. That is it. No fear. We can be free of fear. Because of the grace of God. The grace of God has taken, transformed our lives. He will do the same for our kids. All we need to do is pray for them, that they'll come into a relationship with Him, that they'll know the grace of God on their lives, and that the grace of God will set them free and transform them. Amen. I'm excited. God woos us. Jesus woos us. He woos us with kindness. He woos us with love. He woos us with intimacy. We made righteousness apart from the law, and we are made holy apart from the law. And when you talk about this, it's so hard to describe. How do you describe? Well, well it's, holiness is openness. Holiness is Christ-likeness. Holiness is, is uh, separation from sin and it's separation to God. Holiness doesn't mean morality. Doing the right thing. You can do the right thing for the rest of your life. That does not get you into heaven. What gets you into heaven is that you believed on Jesus. That's it. And while I'm saying all this, uh, let me just say this. Tonight, uh, Nick is going to preach on how do works work in our life. What about works? Because the Bible says we are saved to do good works. Well, what does that mean? How does that fit into this thing of the grace of God? It's a good question. So I want to encourage you tonight to come and to hear what Nick has to say in terms of how works work in our lives. Holiness is not legalism. I said this a couple of weeks ago. If you read the book of Galatians, which is like a little mini book of Romans, we looked at it last year in detail, and part of the story of Galatians is that the Galatian church loved the law of Moses. They were passionate about the law of Moses, but it didn't make them holy. Why? Because Galatians 5, Paul has to rebuke them and says, what are you doing? You are biting each other. You are arguing with each other. You are devouring each other. What is wrong with you? That is not holiness. Are you with me? And so we can follow all the rules and still not be holy people. It's not the same thing. It's not legalism. It's not following a moral code. All right? Holiness is enjoying an intimate relationship with Jesus, and because He has died on the cross, and we look to Him, we become holy as we simply look to Him. Can't be holy and have a critical spirit. So, holiness, put another way, it's refusing to be defensive, it's refusing jealousy, it's refusing envy, it's refusing irritation. Man, that's one for me irritation. I can get irritated. It's refusing lust, self-centeredness. It's a freedom from doing things so that other people can see you do stuff. All right? Remember a couple of weeks ago I talked about Matthew. And Jesus says, when you fast, when you pray, when you give, just do it in private. And it says, your Father in heaven will see and you will store up for yourself treasures in heaven where the moths and rust cannot destroy but if you do those things in, in, in public and people see it, you've already received your reward on earth. So, God wants us to be holy because He is holy. He has a benign 
determination that we will become like Jesus as we simply walk by the Spirit. The second reason I'd like to give to you this morning is that all that God has already done for us has been designed to bring us into holiness. Can I say it again? All that God has already done for us is designed to bring us to holiness. Well, Titus 2 verse 11 and 12 says this, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, the grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's what the grace of God does. It trains us to live godly lives. Have you ever wondered why you're on the face of the planet, right? Romans tells us that we've been predestined, we've been called, we've been... Uh, the question to ask then is, well, what have we been predestined for? Well, simply, we've been predestined to become sons of God. We've pre- been predestined to become more and more like Jesus. That is a most delightful future, wouldn't you say? We have been predestined to become more and more like Jesus. We weren't saved to stay the same. You weren't saved to stay the same and to have the same enslavements in your life, the same anxieties, the same fears, the same problems, the same thoughts. No, no, we were saved so that we could become sons and have completely different motivations, thoughts, and dreams, and aspirations because we're now sons of the Most High God. That is exciting. That is the gospel. That's what Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1 chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 4 says. It says, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Beautiful. And God has also given us the Holy Spirit. Note the Holy Spirit. God's given us the Holy Spirit. And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is that He wants to lead us into holiness. That's why it's called the Holy Spirit. He wants to lead us into holiness. And Romans 8.14 says that very thing. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back again into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are not simply saved to get saved. We are saved so we can become totally different people as the Spirit of God works in us and transforms us from one degree of glory to another. It's so that the deaf can, deaf can hear and the blind can see and the dead can live. That's what the gospel came for. And every one of us has a testimony of how God has transformed us, changed us. I certainly have in my own life, just seeing God transforming me, changing me, and how I'm not the same that I was a year ago or two, two years ago, and that's a beautiful thing because God is leading us all by the Spirit, and He's doing the same for you. Lastly, third point, holiness affects how we experience the kingdom of God. Holiness affects how we experience the kingdom of God. And there are three passages that I just want to look at very briefly where Paul uses this phrase, kingdom of God. And they are 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. You can write them down, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Galatians 5, 19 to 20. And Ephesians 5 verse 5. And these passages are often confusing to Christians 
Because Paul uses a confusing phrase. He says this, Don't you know that unrighteous people will not inherit the kingdom of God? So we say, oh no, we're saved simply by believing on Jesus. It's nothing we have to do. And now Paul's saying, well, if you're unrighteous, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and he lists a whole lot of things in those three passages. He lists things like this. He says, if you are in, these things make inheritance of the kingdom of God impossible. Immoral sexual relationships, homosexuality, adultery. If you're a thief, a drunkard, a slanderer, in Galatians it, it carries on, it says, mention things like impurity, selfishness, envy, the party spirit, drunkenness, covetousness, anger, selfishness. Man, that's a whole lot of stuff. So what does it mean then? How can we understand that if what I've said to you is the truth of the gospel? Because all of us have been guilty of some of those things. I can put my hand up to most of them. Anger, selfishness, covetousness, impurity, wanting to get my own way, the party spirit, that's what it means. And Paul says, with those things, you won't inherit the kingdom. Well, what does he mean? If he's not talking about salvation, what does he mean? Well, I think there are a couple of options. One, does he mean that those who've fallen into sin cannot go to heaven? It can't possibly mean that. Why can't it possibly mean that? Well, if you carry on and you read verse 11 and 12, Paul says this. He says, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, or men who practice homosexuality, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, no revilers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And look at what it says now. And such were some of you. Amen. Paul's saying, he's listed a whole lot of things, of sins, and he says, actually, in the Corinthian church, many of you were drunkards, swindlers, homosexuals, you were adulterers, you were immoral. And he's talking, saying, but you were like that, and you're no longer like that. Why? Because you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Can't possibly be talking about salvation, about going to heaven. Can't possibly. So what's the second option? Does it mean that if we occasionally commit those sins, perhaps once or twice, occasionally, <laughs> that we don't go to heaven? That can't be true either. Because the New Testament makes it quite clear that all sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Every single thing you have ever done and ever will do is under the blood. If you believe on Jesus, can't possibly mean that. So the third option, does it mean that if those things are a regular part of your life, then you don't go to heaven? Okay, be careful if, to answer too quickly, yes. <laughs> because it lists some things that are, for might be shocking to you, but it also lists some things that are quite ordinary, like anger. How many of you have been angry? Me? How many of you have ever coveted something and said, oh, I really like that? A bigger house. Man, I like a bigger house. Anyone? How many of you have been selfish? Put your needs before. I've, I've put both hands up, ten fingers. Put my toes as well. Okay? Who has ever been free of those things? None of us. Does that mean that you and I will not inherit the kingdom? As I was reading this week, I was fascinated. I read a story of John Calvin. John Calvin was one of the great reformers, as you know, and he had a battle 
with uh, some other guys theologically over the course of his life. But you know this, to his deathbed, the one thing he said, which his biographers have written down, to his death, he could not overcome anger in his life. He was angry, and he confessed. He said, I've given in to anger all of my life. Martin Luther, one of the other great reformers, You know, it was an embarrassment to his disciples while he was alive, and even more when he died, that Martin Luther used to swear regularly. He did not have control of his tongue. You mean he's not going to heaven either? How many of you in this room, and I'm putting my hands up first, haven't had lifelong battles with anger or jealousy or something like that. Does that mean that we doubt our salvation? No. Absolutely not. The only thing that Paul can possibly be meaning when he says what he says about inheritance of the kingdom is this, that any Christian who is saved, who is in Christ, that tolerates those kind of sins in their lives, at that point blocks the flow of the Spirit in their lives and therefore cannot receive the full inheritance of what God has for them. That's all that it can possibly mean. That's all that it can possibly mean. It has to do with our inheritance of what God has for us here on earth and in heaven. I love eating. I love drinking. Those things give pleasure. Eating and drinking is a wonderful thing. It gives you pleasure. It's a a great thing. But the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. That's what the Bible says. It's about righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. And God wants us to know His presence. He wants us to know His power. He wants us to know His joy. He wants us to know His peace. And consciously enjoy the forgiveness of God over our lives. He wants us to enjoy that daily. And when we tolerate sin, when we give in to those little things of anger, we block that flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I, want to, I've, I found this out, and this is absolutely true. If there's strife in your life, if there's strife in my life, we end up losing spiritual power. How many of you have noticed that? When there's strife, no spiritual power. When there's peace, when there's righteousness, peace, and joy, there's a flood of power and authority in our lives. That has got nothing to do with our status, with our income. It's got to do with spiritual power. It's got to do with spiritual authority. It's possible we could still be famous, educated, even celebrities, as uh, Mike Pilavocci said on Wednesday, uh, if you weren't here, I want to encourage you to get onto the web and listen to that message. It was delightful, brought freedom. He talked about how God uses our times in the desert to form deep stuff in us. It was absolutely delightful, and we hope Mike is going to come back soon. So, my friends, we have to simply admit that this thing of holiness is key because. We see the fullness of God when there's this flow of the Holy Spirit in us. One of the things that I would like to look at next week, which I obviously couldn't do this week, is that as we live holy lives, it affects our rewards here on earth and our rewards in heaven. There's a beautiful scripture that talks about Jesus in in, in Hebrews 12, verse 12. And it says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross and scorned its shame. There was a reward for Jesus in doing what he did. I think sometimes we can't get our head around that as Christians, that actually there are rewards for us. There are rewards for us here on earth. It's got nothing to do with a house, money, or anything like that. It's a spiritual reward. And Jesus says, if you forsake all to follow me, great will your rewards be here on earth. 
And he's talking about spiritual rewards. Look, nothing to do with money. Nothing to do with the size of your house. It's spiritual reward. It's spiritual authority in your life. There's great reward for us here on earth and in heaven. And that should motivate us. It's good to be motivated by that. And we're going to look at that next week. We're going to look at the whole thing of rewards and how God wants that in our lives. We are holy simply because Jesus has made us holy. God looks on us. He doesn't see our sin. He sees the blood of His Son. That's our position in Christ. That's what God has done for us in Jesus. And as we walk by the Spirit, as we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, what Jesus has done for us, and the theological word is, we are justified. What Jesus has done for us becomes a reality in our experience, in our lives. That's called sanctification. What Jesus has done becomes a reality, not by trying hard, but by simply allowing the Holy Spirit to transform you as you obediently walk step by step with the Holy Spirit. That is the gospel, and that's what it means to live a godly life. That's what it means to be holy, is simply allowing ourselves to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit deeply in our lives. Amen? That is good news. That should liberate every single one of us into a future and a freedom. And tonight, as I've said, God is going to use Nick to to teach into the whole thing. Well, how do works, what has works got to do with this thing? And how do works fit into our lives? And we're going to look at that tonight. I want to encourage you to be there this evening. So, how are you guys going? Getting there. Um, Can I I, um, just show what yours is looking like? Okay, so this is painting by numbers. This is living according to the rules, right? It's okay. Okay, my darling, it's good. It looks like, <laughs> it looks like apples. Would you agree it looks like apples? Okay. Okay. And this, um, Petri's going to show us what he's felt to paint. And it's not painting by numbers. It's painting by inspiration. That's learning to walk by the Spirit, all right? If you were a musician, you could say playing according to the law is like classical music. It's very beautiful. You follow, and I'm a classically trained musician. You follow the notes. You play exactly what is written. Every single thing that is written, you play. And it can be beautiful. But what about jazz? Jazz is playing what's not there. That's playing by inspiration. It's playing by the Holy Spirit. All right? And... Um, do you want to say something? Uh, Helen, Petri? I lost a clip on the back. Hey, that's what Petri's done. That's pretty cool. That's by the power of the Spirit, right? That's under inspiration. How long did that take you? As long as As long as I've been meeting, preaching. Yeah, Half an hour, yeah. 40 minutes. All right? Uh-huh. But only you did well. But... <laughs> So I'm sure you guys want to say something, and then you come and have a look, all right? Shall I say a bit about that? Yeah, uh, yeah. sorry. Yes. Okay. You want to hold it? Basically, what, what I've done is I've, I've taken the theme of a phoenix, and it's a, it's a phoenix rising out of, like, miry, wet, muddy stuff. And it's, for me, it's just something that God was speaking to me about, you know, some of, some of our journey as a church, some of our journey as individuals, just that there's, there's all sorts of stuff which can quench life, you know, and... Um, 
And here we've got a, a fiery bird rising out of all the stuff which would try and quench it. And uh, some of it is the law, some of it is obligation, uh, all the have-tos, should-dos that, that Anne's been talking about this morning. Um, I'm going to do a bit of engraving on the front of it as well, on the glass. But that's, that's sort of the, the thoughts behind that. And uh, painting by numbers was an interesting exercise because, in a, in a way, under pressure, just having lines to paint in and knowing that colour's got to go there, it was quite nice and convenient, and it felt I can do this quickly. But I was also very frustrated because I didn't like some of those colours in the end and how they came out, and I wanted to change it, but I had to stick within the lines and follow my preset arrangement. And I just think, you know, sometimes falling back on laws and principles can become a security because we think, I can do this if I've got the rules. Give me the rule book and I can do it. But I think that God is taking us to a place where it's a reliance on his spirit. And it might feel not as secure and it might feel a little bit more vulnerable, but it's a much more adventurous place. And I really believe God is wanting to take away the lines in our lives. Like Kath said, he's giving us a blank canvas to hear his spirit. And uh, it's so easy to say, no, I want all the lines in my life. And I'm not talking about not knowing what you're going to do with your day. I'm, I'm talking about when you are under expectations, when you are under compulsions, those kinds of lines in our lives. God says he never put expectations and compulsions other than to trust him and to have faith that he is going to walk alongside us. Thanks, Helen. Thanks, Petri. So what I'd like us to do is to break bread this morning. And uh, Becky, do you want to get your guys with you and we're going to worship a little bit as well Jesus we want to thank you for your body we want to thank you for your blood poured out we want to thank you Lord that our salvation is guaranteed and assured simply because we believe on you and Lord as we come to your table this morning we come with grateful hearts we come knowing that it's only your blood that can wash our, win, uh, wash our sins as white as snow. There's nothing else. It's only your body broken that is sufficient to satisfy God's wrath and God's anger on our behalf. And Lord, this morning we want to say thank you for your grace. Thank you for your hand on our lives. Thank you that you are progressively freeing us from things that have kept us down and kept us back. And as you're doing in my own life, Lord, and taking some layers off, I pray for every single person here that you take increasingly just take the layers off. That you show us deeper and deeper things in you. Things that you're transforming by the power of your spirit. I pray, Lord, this year would be a, a, a walk of freedom, increasing freedom for every one of us. And so as we come to your table, Lord, we simply celebrate these things this morning. Perhaps you might be visiting this morning and you've, you've never had opportunity to respond to Jesus. And I just want to say again, the Bible says that we are saved not by doing anything, but by simply believing on Jesus. And this morning I want to give opportunity, if you're here and you don't know Christ, 
The Bible simply says that as we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths, we are saved. And at that moment, we instantly leave the kingdom of darkness and we enter the kingdom of light and we instantly become a son of the Most High God. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I'd love to pray with you. If you'd just like to raise your hand, I can do that. Is there anyone here that's never had the opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus? So, Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. And, Lord, we thank you for your body. We thank you for your blood poured out. And we celebrate that now in Jesus' name.